0: this episode is made possible by green white space this is the organic stream on compostory.org the bite-sized podcast series interviewing experts and key figures in the environmental sphere on all things organic and recycling get your lunchtime organic fix here Hi there and welcome to another episode of The Organic Stream on compoststory.org. I'm your host Aline Murphy and today we're talking to Frank Franciosi, former President of the US Composting Council and Manager of Novazyme's Nature's Green Relief Composting Facility in Franklington, North Carolina. Novozymes is a biotech company that composts its organic waste after enzyme production. So in the interview I'll be asking Frank lots of questions about the facility itself the equipment, the process, the markets he sells to, and also broadening out the discussion to talk about the market value of compost in the US generally, what we can do to make it even more popular, and what to be aware of when starting a composting facility yourself. So let's get stuck in. So Frank, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started in composting for Novozymes?
1: Yeah um I actually got into this business, uh, didn't know anything about composting and uh, had answered an ad and a paper to manage a composting facility in North Carolina. And at the time I knew nothing about what composting was all about other than the normal basic biology and science behind it. Uh, and I got involved with the U.S Composting Council, which was a good resource for me. I met a lot of people, uh, visited some sites and and really learned how to do it on a commercial scale. And um, I started this facility and, and then uh, got out of that facility, worked there for about four or five years uh, and started in another facility, which is uh, working with Novozymes at the time. They were looking at alternatives for their residuals coming out of that plant, so it was it was an alternative for them. They traditionally a lot of the biotech industries uh, do a lot of land application of their residuals and put it on farmland, which is you know the cheapest way to do it. However, um, what has happened is um, a lot of the area is starting to get more urban, so we're losing that farmland. So this was another way of actually uh, looking at more of a sustainable approach for the residuals long term.
0: And how much residuals do you take from Novozymes itself?
1: We take about 35 to 40% of the the residuals coming out of the process, the the plant um, in Franklinton, which is just north of Raleigh, North Carolina.
0: Uh, right. And uh, how much do you produce then?
1: We produce about 35,000 cubic yards a year of finished product.
0: And how much is that in tons?
1: Um, it's, it's roughly uh, about half. Because it weighs about a 1,000 pounds per cubic yard. a 1,000 pounds a cubic yard is kind of the, 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 the number that we always use.
0: Cool. And uh, tell me a little bit about the facility itself, okay. uh, the location, the size, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, the facility itself sits on an eight-acre site. Uh, we have about 500 acres, and we're smack in the middle of that parcel. So we're surrounded by wooded area. It's very much a rural area, so we don't have issues with you know neighborhoods encroaching on us because we own the land all around it.
0: <laughs> Sounds ideal for what you're doing then. <laughs> and um, could you talk us through then the general process of composting at your site and the equipment that you use?
1: Um, we have, uh, you know, we start off with the front end loaders. There are measuring cups. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then we have a big mixer, just like you mix when you're baking a cake. It is a a coon Knight. It holds about 35 cubic yards. It's a commercial industrial mixer. So um, this is a rotating uh, reel, and it's got augers in it that are against it. So And then uh, there's a conveyor belt that comes off that mixer. We have a truck that parks underneath the conveyor belt, and a conveyor belt conveys the, the mixed material into the back of the dump truck. And then he takes it out to form the windrow. And then the windrow, you know, they're about 12 feet wide and about six feet high. Uh, the turner, it's a Bakus, a German turner. And um, we turn based on meeting our pathogen reduction basically one time a week, five, or every, once every five days. And then taking temperature measurements every 75 feet. Um, we do that with a manual probe. And we use a compost manager system that's developed from Green Mountain Technologies. So we can data log that back into our PC so we can track the temperatures. Um, So after 60, 65 days, we'll pull that windrow up and we'll feed it into a screener. We have a backer's star screen. Uh, It's a rubber star screen. So all the fine material falls in between the stars and all the large material runs up. The oversize, as we call it, we take that and that goes back into the front end of the process. And then the fines, uh, we can screen to whatever particle size we want to, based on our sales demand and what our inventory is. And then um, we'll, we'll stockpile that material and we'll let it cure for another 60 days. So we, most of our material is at least 120 days old before we sell it, uh, depending on the season Our spring. We have a big spring sale season, which starts in March. It runs through May, and then it dies down in, in the middle of the summer months. It gets really hot here, and then it picks up again in the fall. So we have like a pretty much a six-month sales season that's that's pretty robust. That's great. Yeah.
0: And uh, is most of the material you take from Novazymes, or is there any other places that you take them from?
1: Um, the uh, There's a, a wood molding manufacturer that we take the sawdust from, and then there's five different municipalities in the area. And they uh, bring us yard waste. And so we have to grind that. Some of it comes in pre-ground and some of it we have to grind. So we have a, uh, a horizontal rotor chopper grinder. Uh, and we'll, gr- we'll grind that down into three inch minus material. And we sell everything bulk. We don't bag anything. So everything goes out in large tractor trailer loads. Yeah.
0: Cool. And to give us an idea of how it sells, uh, what are the markets that you sell to? Uh, are there many?
1: So, you know, the traditional markets that we sell into are the landscape construction or landscape installation markets. We also sell into the nursery market and, and uh, we do sell to some golf, the golf industry. And then the, the new area that we're in is uh, it's called green infrastructure. I don't know if you've um, it's also called low impact development. And there's, a, there's some new rules and regulations that, you know, if you build a building now, you have to estimate how much stormwater flow you're going to have. And you have to catch that one-inch rain event. So we're starting to sell compost into those markets because compost is very – it has a high absorption rate. Um, it'll hold a lot of water. It's basically a natural fertilizer, um, and it's a great growing media. So there are several areas where compost is being used. Green roofs is one of them. You heard of rain gardens or bioretention basins, green swales. when these are all different applications within that green infrastructure category. Um, so that's happening here in the U.S. And then more and more, we're seeing compost being uh, incorporated into the soil. So there's a better percolation, a better infiltration rate into the soil. That that's a whole new market. Um, we're just kind of scratching the surface, and then another market is erosion control, which is preventing the sediment from running off on, on construction sites, and that has been a huge market for us just in the recent years. Um, we're just starting to sell a little more into agriculture. Agriculture, believe it or not, is not a big market for us, but more and more people are see the value of using compost. And then there's a big push here in the U.S. to grow local, buy local. So we're seeing more smaller farms. And people are now more interested in keeping their farms, but growing organic and being able to provide that to uh, a farmer's market rather than a grocery store.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, that's very promising. And uh, you have a number of different products for different uses. I presume it's high quality compost you're selling?
1: Yeah, we... um, You know, because of our feedstocks are very consistent, we get a very consistent product on the back end and we don't change our process. Uh, So that's been a big part of us is keeping that quality control on the process side and also on the finished product side. Uh, And then we screen the different sizes. We screen really, really fine mesh, quarter inch material. It's you know very fine. That goes to the golf course market. That goes to that green uh, roof market, and then we screen like a three a half inch, three eighths inch product, which is pretty kind of general purpose. It can be used in potting media. It could be used as a mix. It could be used into directly into the garden as an additive, and then we screen really at a larger size, which is coarser. Um, it has a lot more of the uh, the woody material in it. It's got more mulch content in it. And that's used for erosion control because that'll hold the slopes and that, you know, just like a mulch will hold and give you temporary stabilization of that slope. Uh, And then we do some mixes. A lot of people, they don't realize the value of the word compost. So they're used to buying topsoil. And we don't don't sell topsoil because that's not sustainable. But we manufacture topsoil. So we take uh, a portion of compost and we blend that in with some sand and some silt and some clays. And we make what I call an engineered topsoil, and that's a very popular product because when people say, "Well, you know, do you have topsoil?" I said, "No, we don't have topsoil, but we have engineered topsoil." And they go, "Well, what's engineered topsoil?" And it's it's top, it's basically a, a topsoil that we create by blending other ingredients in with it, uh, and that's been a, a, a huge market boom for us. Uh, Because again, people are more used to buying topsoil, but when they buy topsoil, they buy weed seeds, they buy – I mean who knows what's been sprayed on the fields. Uh, so it's it's an unknown but see they think if it's black it's good uh, because it's dark and it's rich but but when they when you look at the analysis of topsoil here in north carolina um, there's really only about one percent organic matter in in the soil and our compost has about uh, 60 to 70 percent organic matter in it so um, it's very high in organic matter which is really the the secret of compost is in it's all in the organic matter in the humans yeah
0: right and um why do you think that there's so little understanding about compost then you know in a general sense? <sighs>
1: Um, so I, I think, you know, it's all how it's marketed. And a lot a lot of compost is sold in the U.S. not as compost, but as a soil supplement or as a topsoil or, you know, a manufactured topsoil. And, that, and that's just the stigma that people have to just get over over time. I think the, one of the challenges that we have in the industry is to monetize the value of compost, because if you took each and every one of those components and you started adding not just the value of fertilizer value, but the, the cation. Exchange capacity, the organic matter, the biological activity, um, but people don't value that. They just look at NPK nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. They don't look at the overall picture of soil health. Um, I think part of the problem is you know the commercialization of fertilizers, the brand naming of fertilizer, and you know, hey, it's springtime, time to go out and get your spreader. And well, you know, we don't have that uh, market appeal. So we're trying to work on people getting back to basics. Um, One thing that the recession has done is it it has increased awareness on waste. So people aren't wasting as much. Um, The other thing is people are now growing a lot of gardens themselves. Um, So that's been a big push for us. Community gardens are growing all over the U.S., there's a big push for urban gardens. You know, so I think it's an awareness thing. And I think we need to do a better job at educating the general public as well as school kids, because if they learn it eventually, it'll become common practice.
0: Yeah, so get it into the school curriculum. That's right. And do you know of any other companies or businesses that are composting their organic waste?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know of any right off my hands that I can think of, but you know that changes all the time. I know there's some egg processors that are doing it here in North Carolina. Um, there's some tobacco companies that are looking at doing it with their stems. Uh, so there's other industries I don't know if it's just biotech per se and and a lot of it I tell you I'll be honest with you a lot of it is um, the big bridge that I had to cross was the big liability issue here you know oh, what's the liability you know you' and I think a lot of the corporate people say well that's not our business we, we you know we'll just send it to a, a facility. So a lot of facilities are taking probably similar material like we're generating and composting that material. Uh, there's a, a plant not far from us uh, that makes amino acids, and I know they have a leftover residual. And they're taking that and they're shipping it to a competitor of mine, and they're, they're composting it. So I, directly setting up a facility on their site, I don't think there's a lot. But I think there's a lot going to compost, but you just don't know about it because there are private contracts that they've arranged.
0: Yeah, well, it's good so long as they're composting it.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, So what do you think it takes to get started on a facility like your one?
1: You know, it's very much baby steps. And I I think the approach was prove it on a small scale, figure out what your technology is. Um, The obstacles that I look at are, of course, money (laughs) is one. But, but, you know, uh, location is really important. We don't really have an odor problem. But, you know, when you're handling stuff like food waste and, and some of the other materials, if you're handling manures and there's dairy farms all the way around you, there's not an odor problem. <laughs> but, uh, but if you're handling dairy manure or food waste and you're surrounded by a housing development, then there's an odor problem, right? So I think location is very important you want to be near a major road, but you want to, you don't want to be right on the, you know, you want to be off the major road. You want to be in an area that is pretty much, you know, what the growth around you is going to occur. Like, I know there's facilities that have been around since the 1970s. And uh, what has happened is everybody sold the land around it. So now it's all housing. Well, now you have all these odor complaints. Well, it was there, and you know, since the 1970s, nobody. Yeah. So, so location's important and you know storage issues seasonality those are the big issues and then, you know, how you plan your facility, you know, looking at the process flow and how materials come in and, and you want to try to make it as linear as possible, just like, you know, an auto manufacturing line, the line straight. Um, so you want to have an engineer be able to, to figure that out, but you also want somebody that has knowledge in the industry. It's a lot of materials movement. So if you want to move something a short distance, you can move it with a loader. If you want to move it a little bit uh, longer than a short distance, say, Uh, 60, 70 feet, maybe it's better to use conveyors or a truck, a dump truck or a conveyor in a truck. Um, And then, you know, your runoff, you want to make sure if it's an outdoor facility that you're capturing that runoff. So contamination is also an issue. So those are the big things. Uh, And then sizing your equipment for your facility. So like, you know, it's really better to start out with leasing equipment because the life expectancy of that equipment may be short, uh, like a grinder that takes a lot of beating. So all those little things on figuring out what movements are and how to increase your efficiency in those movements are really important.
0: Amazing. Great advice. And um, would you say that it's economically viable for businesses to go down this road?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it is. You know, the model in the U.S. is a lot of composters make the majority of their money on the front end, which is the tipping fees. Not so much on the back end. It may be 80-20 or 60-40. And, and I think um, it could be a good business, but it all depends on what, what those you're competing against the landfill. So your fees have to be better than the landfill. Uh, So you can bring that business in. You want to try to get as clean feedstocks as possible. Uh, So contamination is an issue there uh, because if you're picking out a lot of trash and stuff, that's just more processing time or more equipment. And uh, if you make a really good product on the back end, then you can recruit more of your profits on the back end. So, you know, I think it can be. Uh, I know, you know, the other model is the AD model, and that works really well where you have uh, high density population, small footprint, high tipping fees. Um, so you can recoup some of that in the the tipping fee, the energy generation, and then the the final product. What I worry about is there's a lot of um, AD plants out there that are, they consider everything but the final product, and you know they're saying, "Well, we can we could sell it as a digestate." Well, in a lot of cases here in the U.S., you can't because you've got to treat it for pathogens, you got you got odor issues, it's not a mature product, so it's more of a cost than it is a profit. So I'd like to see that model work, <laughs> where they take the digestate on the back end and they compost the digestate too, so they make a, another value-added product.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. That makes sense. And um, finally, is there any last words of advice that you'd like to give?
1: Um, I'm a believer that if the markets are there and the markets are steady and there's a, a really good demand for the product, that we'll see more facilities expand. We'll see more facilities being permitted uh, because the economics work out, start working out a lot better because, uh, you know, a lot of the composting that was done early in the U.S. was mandatory state mandates on keeping yard waste out of the landfill, which was a smart thing to do because it's useless in, in a landfill. Uh, but they didn't have the, the infrastructure. They didn't have the training and the technology to do it right to make a product. And you see a lot of municipalities kind of getting out of the composting business, and you see a lot more private-public partnerships being developed. Because uh, you know, I think we understand it more as a manufacturing process, and, and that's the attitude you have to take. Is I, I'm not just keeping this stuff out of the landfill. I'm making a product, uh, and then you know, if you make a high quality product, obviously you can demand more price for your for your product
0: great great stuff uh frank that's all we have time for today thanks for coming on all right thanks thank you thanks, See you. that was frank franciosi for the organic stream on compostory.org for more information on nature's green relief visit www.naturesgreenrelief.com and as always you can find us on compostory.org or on twitter our twitter handle is compostory.org that's all we have time for this week hope you tune in again next week You are listening to The Organic Stream on compoststory.org. This episode was made possible by Green White Space. Green White Space is a not-for-profit social enterprise specialising in media and social innovation. Find out more on www.greenwhitespace.org.